Thank you. Um, Chesaree seems to have disappeared. Have you found the corner? <laughs> <laughs> it's run away. Um, following on from Sherry's talk, I'd like to know how one engages the tutors. <laughs> because cause that sometimes is the problem, is, is engaging, particularly if you're in a research-intensive university, trying to get the staff to engage in this kind of um, activity, I find it's quite mm. difficult. Um, so uh, we're at the University of Reading and we have Hefke funding for the Learning Game project. And I just want to go through the project with you, um, what we're doing, what approach we're taking, and um, hopefully get some feedback. And the learning game is something which has become very topical. It's been mentioned in the um, May white paper. Um, and I hope, I, I don't know, I heard someone say earlier that um, it is full steam ahead with the TEF. After the EU referendum, there is some concern that perhaps it won't be. Um, but the white paper is looking at uh, the TEF where they're going to be measuring teaching quality, the learning environment, student outcomes, and particularly learning game. And this is from the technical document. I don't know how many of you have been asked to go through this, but in the, if you actually look at the technical document for, for the TAF, um, there are three sort of main, main areas. Is that the pointy girl? Is there a pointy thing on this? Uh, the middle one. Oh, yes. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So, so it's divided into three, the teaching quality, the learning environment, and the student outcomes. And they're looking for um, what the criteria should be, what the evidence should be, and statement of findings and so hoping that um, what we're doing what the various 13 um, groups of people are doing will feed into this now we have heard already definitions of learning gain I'm sure it's the end of the day and you you want to go and get your trains or whatever um, but just to reiterate that learning gain is about the distant traveled by students um, and it's by finding something measurable that is an improvement in either knowledge um, work readiness skills, personal development between two points of time. And this is from um, McGrath's um, paper with Rand. And I'm afraid, like everyone else, these, these haven't come out very clearly. But here we have, for example, test scores against years. And what you're the learning gain is the difference between that point and that point um, over two years. Now, there's also... Um, a measure of something called added value and sometimes people confuse learning gain and added value. The added value um, from my understanding is that if you have a prediction of how somebody is going to do, if they actually do better than that, then there is an added value and I know the, the Guardian um, has, has a league table and one of the things they measure is, um, is added value and some universities that you'd think wouldn't do very well with learning gain because their students have already come in with very high grades, seem to do quite well in that. So um, that's quite interesting. Whoops. Um, so I won't go through this because you've all heard this. Um, so the University of Reading, we've got what's called a mixed method project. And this is a combination of different methods. Um, basically, we couldn't decide on which one, so we just decided to do lots of them. Um, and the idea is to have a combination of methods to try and track improvement of performance. Um, and we're looking at things like grades, student learning and surveys. And the idea is, it started in October, um, a three-year longitudinal study um, to try and take a number of different methodologies to try and make this evaluation and see if it works. One, immediately, one of the issues that we have had 
is that um, the funding all came through very quickly and we weren't necessarily very well prepared to start collecting this data with students that month because by the time everything came through and Chesery had been put in place, the students were there and we did have some difficulty, which I'll mention later, in actually getting students engaged in, in helping us. So what we're going to be measuring is student attainment, and that's by looking at um, grades, the engagement of students, their satisfaction, their well-being, and their critical thinking. And the idea is to develop um, a model. And so Cesare here is a modeler, um, and he's, he's a whiz kid with um, numbers, and he produces things that nobody else can understand, so we all have faith that, that he, he is um, doing it's completely it. completely made up. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I make a living. <laughs> and so the idea is we're going to feed in lots and lots of different variables in, into the model um, to see how different factors have an impact on learning gain. And this is um, uh, the learning pyramid, and this is something that, that Cesare has produced this slide and it's on the basis of something called the curriculum framework that we have at the University of Reading. And this learning pyramid um, starts at the top with the discipline-specific skills. And down here is the distance from the academic discipline. So if you're studying law, if you're studying biology, um, at the very top of this pyramid you have your um, discipline-specific skills. So it would be the breadth and depth of your knowledge in that subject area. And then underpinning that um, are the more generic academic and research skills. And um, that's your ability to learn through research and inquiry, and also your ability to think critically. Now, clearly, um, in, today's, um, in today's climate, employability is very, very important. And so under professional employability skills, we also have entrepreneurship, and the applicability of your discipline or your skills in real-world contexts. And then also um, something that we've heard um, from listening to various talks today that's very important is things like personal effectiveness, self-awareness, wanting to improve yourself, um, having problem-solving skills, which is also linked to um, the research skills, um, and finally having much more generic social skills um, social, civic, environmental responsibility, etc. And what, we, what you would hope is that somebody coming out of university would have the whole range of these by coming to university. Now clearly, you, you don't have to go to university to have a lot of these. So a lot of these skills down here, you can gain from experience in, in the workplace. But ge generally, these kind of skills up here, you will get from going to university. So. Um, I, I read the remit for what the talk should be, and it said, please, can you have something that's interactive? So you can blame that on the fact that in your pack, you've got um, a picture of the learning pyramid. Um, and what I'm asking you is, of the tools that you have access to, what would you use to measure the following? The discipline-specific, the academic and research skills, the employability, the self-awareness, and the social skills. So what would be interesting for me would be to know whether or not what you would choose to measure these things is different from what we've chosen. So if you want to just take one minute to just write down what you would choose. You can talk to the person next to you if you want. Um, 
to measure these various factors. Can I just check, do you mean of the measures that we currently have access to in our institution? Yes. So yeah. like the assessments that we use? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So if at the end of this talk you, you have had a fantastic idea that we haven't thought about, please do <laughs> let us know. I won't ask you to all hand them in. Okay, is that low enough? So these are the measures that we chose. So under discipline specific, um, we've looked at grades and progression data. Um, we're also using something called Perceived Learning Game, which I'll mention later. Grades and progression seems to be in there twice, I'm not quite sure why. Um, under academic and research, um, we have what's been mentioned before, the Collegiate Learning Assessment, um, which is the, the US um, test. The Need for Cognition Scale, which I'll mention later, and UCAS, which has been talked about um, by Alex. Under professional and employability, um, we have um, a, a career registration survey which is wasn't available um, in October last year but will be available this year and also there's also Delhi data um, and under personal effectiveness and self-awareness we've got UCAS, um, a University of Reading survey called the Student Wellbeing Survey, the NCS and under social we have again those two. So if anyone's got other ideas that would be really interesting to hear. So basically we're looking at grades, we're looking at surveys and we're looking at um, the assessment, the, the sort of general assessment of learning. So grades and progression. So one of the things we're looking at is the difference um, between student grades at two points in time and it has already been said this is a minefield um, as um, Ian, well, he's gone, Ian from um, Oxford Brooks um, as Ian said, that it, it's very difficult to know what it is you're measuring, really, because it depends on whether or not what you're measuring is at the same level at each grade and, and how, it, how things are progressing. And also the targets that we're being set um, under things like the TEF are that, so, let's say, 70 to 80% of all students get two ones and firsts. How, how does that then discriminate between students? And so there are issues with this. So the data set that was used here was um, looking at, Ch Chesaree's looked at 10 years worth of grades of students going through. Um, that's working now, by the way. It's very nice. Um, and what he's done is he's, he's sort of massaged the data in a, little, in a, in a way to remove um, some, some students. So we're only looking at students who've gone through three years of study and they haven't um, dropped out for whatever reason and come back in. So they've all finished on time on their three-year course so that, that you can compare all of them. Um, and 75% of the graduated on time that year and 55% who graduated in that year. I don't understand what that means. It means that uh, this sample, this is just for 2014-15, yeah. but they are the same like as you go back in time. And this sample represents 75% of the undergraduate full-time students okay. who graduated, graduated on time. So just to give us a sense of the dimension of the representativeness mm. 
of, of the sample. So, so we've got lots and lots of data and this is data at the program level. So this is a, this is a model and this is looking at, ent at year one, year two, year three. And you can see that at the program level, so each of these lines here represents one of 50 programs within the University of Reading. And you can see that the median um, grades actually go up between years one, two, and three. Now, some of them are, go up quite a lot. So this particular degree here, I won't tell you which one it is, um, they, they seem to have made massive progression. And this one here um, seems to have dropped. Just to say that this one here, the school is actually being closed. So, um, so there are differences. And there's one here which has got enormously steep curve. So, and, and quite a few of them sort of go down slightly, and some of them don't change at all, which is what, what we were seeing with the Oxford Brooks data. So you can look at the programme level data. And one of the things we're going to do is, as, as Cesare said, this was um, one year's worth of um, data looking at one, one group of students. But we've got that data for lots and lots of years. And so one of the things that we're, we want to do is to look at the slopes of these to see whether or not the slopes are the same between different years. And if the slopes are different, if they're radically different, then we're going to investigate what happened in that degree that that slope is so different. What intervention? Did they change something? Did they change the marking scheme, et cetera, et cetera? And potentially, this is, this is quite powerful to allow you um, to, to, to go to schools, um, particularly if they're not performing very well, and say, look, here are the data guys. You know, what is it you did that did this? Um, so we haven't launched it on them yet, but um, hopefully people will find that quite useful. Um, on one of these programs, um, here we've got data for students. So each of these is an individual student looking at their progression through times. And I have picked um, one of the programs where the students have all um, done extremely well, you can see. So they've all increased significantly. You can see that the students who come in at part one have got quite high grades. They tend to um, be parallel to each other, that they, they perhaps gain, each of them gain based on their initial ability. So um, I don't know whether that says that there's learning gain, but there isn't value added. Um, I, I'm not sure. Um, we're also, we haven't started this bit yet, but we've also decided to try out perceived learning gain. Um, and this is because of a, of a talk I went to a year ago um, where um, a German doctor um, has used perceived learning gain on his course. And I found it to be something that is potentially quite powerful and this is where students actually rate themselves against a set criteria linked to the learning outcomes of the module or it could be of the program and so um, it's particularly useful if you've got I think it's a harder thing to do if you're if you're learning something like um, English literature but if you're learning law or science I think it's a much easier thing to do where you can rate yourself as to the learning outcomes of that module what you know when at the beginning and you would hope that um, at the end it would be very different. And what he found was that, uh, this is Dr. Raupak, and I understand that you'll get these slides, so I've got the link on here, so you can watch his talk if you want to. Um, it's the second half of the talk that's, that's got the interesting data in it. Um, and what he found was that there was a strong correlation between students' perceived learning gain and their actual grades. Um, and they, they felt that this was fairly valid because all of the students on one of the um, learning outcomes, they, none of them had progressed at all on that. On that. And they're thinking, what, why don't any of the students know about this? I think it's to do with the kidneys. 
and they discovered it's because actually um, that, that session didn't happen, that the lecturer was ill and the whole session didn't happen. Um, and that's why none of the students felt they'd learnt anything. Why they didn't go and do any reading, I don't know, but hey. So, um, and this is a paper that's been published, if you want to pursue it. So, um, as mentioned previously, there's the Collegiate Learning Assessment, which is um, a US test, which is used very widely in the United States. And it supposedly measures critical thinking, problem solving, analytic reasoning, and writing skills. Um, and there's a performance task, which is basically writing, um, and it's not an essay, it's more you're, you're asked to, to provide evidence of something based on a lot of documents that you're given. So you're, you're given, it's a time test, and you're given a lot of documents. You have to read the documents. You have to um, look at them critically as to which of those documents you feel um, has, got, has got information you can trust, and then put it together in an account to answer whatever the question is. Um, and there's also then a second half, which is 30 minutes, which is um, multiple choice questions, which is giving you statements, and then you've got to choose which of them most closely um, aligns with, with what you've read. You don't need any prior knowledge. So this could be done by a student of English literature, of business, or of anything. And the idea of this is to provide an objective assessment about the critical thinking skills of a student. And this is something that I know that... Um, the, the Learning Game Project was interested in finding out whether or not you can have any general tests that could be taken by all students in all courses in all universities that would allow you to compare them. So, as I said, um, it's divided into two sections. And the performance task, as you can see, two-thirds of it of the mark is on writing mechanics and writing effectiveness. And the selected response questions, it says it's to do with reasoning, uh, but it's also to do with critical reading. And these, these things are quite um, important, that it's reading and writing. So, um, the approach that, that we tried to take was to, to start with a randomised sampling from a number of modules. Um, and the idea was to have a cross-sectional and a longitudinal approach, and I'll show you a diagram of what I mean by that in a minute. Um, we had a lot of problems getting this to run. So um, we had problems getting students to sign up for it. We had problems getting staff members to agree for their students to sign up for it because they were concerned that the students who took it would be at an advantage against the students who didn't take it. Um, because we were trying to sell it to the students as this will be great if you do this. You will have a digital badge that says you're, you're an advanced learner or something that you can use on your CV. But because we'd done it in such a way that it was random, students in the same class, some would have the opportunity and some didn't. And um, some of the staff felt ethically that this wasn't right. Um, so, so we did have problems. In the end, we only had 39 students taking... Um, the CLA when we wanted to have 200 and one of the problems that we found was that of those 39 six of those students were already at the advanced and therefore could not progress so if, if at that level they're coming in they're first year students they've only just arrived and based on this critical test they are advanced how can they then um, improve in year three um, and in fact Another, another 31 out of 39 students, if they just had an extra point in, in the essay and an extra point in the MCQ, 
would have been in those two highest levels. So um, either students who come to the University of Reading are absolutely exceptional, and um, you know, and it could be in fact that the 39, because they ended up being self-selecting, it could be that the 39 were all the really engaged, really good students. Um, that in fact, that's why you're getting the, the same. However, effect. when you look at the at their entry grades, you find a good distribution of the grades. So you do find E students, you know, students that have got a few E's in the ones that participate. So it's not just that we got the, based on their previous achievement, it's not just we got the best ones in Reading. We actually found a, that they were quite, that they covered quite a broad spectrum. So I don't think that the, the, the you know, the self-selection explains it all. I think there is an actual ceiling effect of the difficulty yeah. of the CLA plus. Yeah, so it's, it's difficult. It's, it's kind oh, of politically, no it's politically quite difficult to say what we think about. It's too easy. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Um, well, well, we're not the only university using it. Um, other universities are using it as well. It'd be interesting to see what they have. Um, we are, we are um, doing this um, with Coventry, um, Birmingham City University. What's the other one? Uh, Liverpool, John Liverpool, John Moore, Moore. Yes. Staffordshire. And Staffordshire. Yeah. We, we have had some issues in getting the, the data together, but... Um, you might expect somebody like or a student in math, mathematics, their writing and their essay writing skills to be slightly... Yeah, I was, I was going to... Exactly. Yeah, you're right. That's one of the points I was going to make, is that, yeah. is that the impression that we get is that uh, the students who've got marks that weren't so good quite often were not native English speakers. With low IELTS scores. Yeah. So, are you, what is it you're measuring? Are you measuring their ability to understand and write English? Because that's not critical thinking. That's your ability to understand and write English. Um, so, you know, we're not, we're not a major fan, um, at, but we've only tried it on 39 students. So, we have an open mind. We, are, we have now um, got staff on board that we're going to be able to expand it and have a much greater group of students looking at it. So um, it could be that that tiny result is in fact an outlier and that the next time that we do it, it will be much more broad. But I mean, this is one of the reasons that we're doing the study and that we're looking at this is to try, try and see would it work in, in the UK. Um, it, it's, it's also, it's quite um, expensive. It's £30 per student and it's... With a discount? Well, that's with a discount. Um, and we have had some problems um, in just getting the whole thing set up. It's been quite difficult. No. 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 Doesn't. Surely that's an issue Yeah, I mean that's one of the things that that is one of the things that, that I pointed out to people. But apparently you can you can take it into account, but it it isn't. Yeah, you can give them extra time, and um, the the CAE who who actually own this and run it, they will allow you to give students extra time to do it. Yeah. So one of the questions is, how do you incentivize students to engage? And the problem is that um, they either see no benefit from themselves, and I think that's one of the problems we've had with UCAS. In this instance, we were selling it that it would be beneficial for them to take it, but then staff took umbrage on this, that we were giving some students something and not others. Um, and I just, I just sort of, I'd be looking online, I came across this. So at the University of Texas at Austin, um, they actually, you won't be able to read this, but they're actually giving them $50 cash for doing it. 
Um, if you consider that it, it, it costs £30 per head, that would be 80, 80 well, about $100, wouldn't it, per head, uh, and $100 in cash to the 10 freshmen with the highest results. So, that's, so obviously there are issues in the United States getting students to do this as well. So this is, um, it, it keeps changing as we, we keep adjusting things as we're going along, um, but this is the plan. So this is, we're, we're currently here, of course, between spring and autumn. We've undertaken the CLA Plus here. And the idea is to have a longitudinal comparison with these students. Um, so they, they took the test in the autumn. They will take the test again next spring. And then they'll take the test again um, when they're in the third year. We're going to then introduce um, the test to a new group of students in year two. We're actually hoping we're going to have more than this now that we've got some people on board. Um, and again, and they will then take the test in year three. And there will also be a cross-sectional comparison between the part twos here and the part twos there. So we're hoping we will be able to um, get useful data out of this, despite the problems that we've had. Um, so the UK Engagement Survey, we've already heard about it. Um, it's aimed at non-finalists, and it, it's something that could be used as an early warning system to allow us to, to, to go in and um, take action. Now, the Wellbeing Project is something which has been um, produced by the Department of Economics, and it's a survey. And a lot of that survey actually has NSS questions in it. And when we put in our original application to um, Hethke, we said we were going to look at NSS, but then we decided not to because, in fact, you can't attribute those scores to any individual students. But if you put the NSS questions into a survey, then you, you can. Um, and so... Um, we, but we then made a decision to take some of the wellbeing project questions out and put them into UKES, because you can put your own questions into UKES. So that's, that's what we've done. Um, we haven't actually done this yet, but the, the intention is also to look at the need for cognition scale, which psychologists would be aware of, which is to do with um, personality and um, their, their ability to engage in cognitive activities and whether or not they fundamentally have sort of a critical ability or not. So, this is an example, this isn't the actual, this is an example of um, the kind of modelling um, we're going to be taking where you're looking at the part three result, part one, two and three results and you're inputting all of this other data to do with engagement, to do with well-being, to do with gender, age, disability um, and at the other end we'll pop the answer and we can all sort of retire. <laughs> <laughs> And the, the sampling approach is um, all of our students we have, clearly we have the SITS data, which is the grades. Um, many of our students we're hoping we'll be able to get this data for. So the careers registration is to do with careers readiness. Um, and that's going to be used on all students for sure um, th this October. The UCAS, um, we, again, we've had problems getting students to engage with it. Um, I know last year that University of Reading was one of the pilot um, organisations that, that ran it. They had problems getting students to do it. Um, I think we got 300, is that right? For the UCAS. For UCAS, yeah, we got 350. 350? Oh, yeah. good. But it's a tiny percentage of the ones we targeted. Yeah. Um, and then only very few students, um, we're hoping you know, 200 per year, will be doing the CLA and the perceived learning gain. Um, Sorry, I don't think I put a slide with perceived learning. Oh, so I did, didn't I? You saw that earlier. 
Um, so that's where we are with the project. Um, I don't actually have uh, any outputs from this at present to show you. Um, so I thought what I would do instead would be to show you outputs of something which is aligned to this that we did, um, which is looking at the impact of student engagement on um, employment, employability. And this is an analysis that was, was done by somebody in the statistics department, um, along with the careers department, looking at graduates from uh, three separate years. And what they did is they, they did an analysis of whether or not students did um, the Reading Internship Scheme, which is a scheme that allows students for a minimum of six weeks to be paid to do something in the university. Um, you can then do a mini, micro and maxi placement. So you can do um, a module, which is a placement, which is only about three weeks, and or you could do a whole year. Um, we have something called the Red Award, um, and this is it's a bit like the... Um, what are they called? Edinburgh. Prince of Edinburgh. Duke of Edinburgh. It's a bit like Duke of Edinburgh Award, but, but it, it gives you a reward for engaging, basically, whether you're engaged in employment or whether you're engaged in um, volunteer work, etc., etc., whether you help in the university in open days, that kind of thing, um, whether or not you studied abroad, and then it looks at things like gender, ethnicity, fee status, disability, um, what degree you studied, etc., etc. So they looked at everything. Now, I'm not going to give you all of this data, but what I'll do is give you a single piece of data. And, I, and when they first did the analysis, they produced data, and we all said, no, this data, you can't use it. Um, and the reason being that um, the, what we said is, okay, if you've got an engaged student, the chances are they were always going to be engaged and um, they're always going to do well in their degree as well. Um, if you've got a weak student, it might be that, that the fact that they didn't do a placement is because they were a weak student and they weren't very engaged. So um, what they did is they split up the data set. So, um, so this is the data set of... This is only one example to show you. So this is students doing a placement, and it's split up into... Whoops. It's split up into whether they got, these students got a 2-1 or a 1st, these students got a 2-2 two -two or below, and then it's, um, it's whether they did a placement or not. So these uh, are students with a good degree who did a placement or didn't, students with a not so good degree who did or didn't. And then um, the green is that they went into pre professional or managerial positions, and the blue is... Um, non-professional managerial positions and here we've got um, the statistics and this is divided into different faculties so what it shows is that for all of the faculties all of the students who got a 2-1 or a 1st um, were statistically more likely to get professional or managerial jobs by the fact that they had done a placement well there's a correlation anyway um, for the students who got um, the, the weaker degrees, it was only significant for um, my faculty, life sciences. So you can see there's quite a big difference between those two. But it wasn't significant for any of the others. Um, so I, I think, as I said, this has been done for everything. And one of the things we discovered is that the Red Award, for example, that we have, had no difference, no effect whatsoever. 
and that was about student engagement. And what we're finding is that um, the engagement needs to be something that's quite considerable. So the Red Award that we have, um, one of the things that you, you can get points on your Red Award for, for doing a job. Um, there's a difference between doing a job and earning money and going on a placement where you've put yourself out perhaps for a whole year to go and do something else. And so it's, it's not just that they're engaged in something, it's that they're engaged in something at a particular level that matters. So, um, as I say, we've got lots more data, but um, this is one of the more interesting outcomes. And I want to thank Karen Ayres and Stats, who did this analysis, and also Hefke for um, funding. And that's where we are. <laughs>